Nice to see you all. And uh, nice to see the sun as well occasionally this week. And uh, we hope that uh, you've found this series of interest as we've worked our way through it. Uh, obviously, that's the uh, introductory slide, but the uh, program that we're following of these Sundays has taken us here. We're beyond the halfway point, obviously. Uh, and the last, those three middle sermons uh, and talks that we've just heard are all about the mission Jesus had. Next week, in the last two, Barry will be looking at the topic of grace and Mike, the topic of come and die. Uh, what's the response? How do you react to what Jesus has done and what he has achieved? And today, we're looking at the topic of resurrection. I, I think uh, um, Rico Tice has made the whole uh, factual account of what we have in the book of Mark very clear to us. Resurrection. What is resurrection, though? Uh, what does it mean? Uh, we often use the term, and we think we, well, Easter Day is probably what we think of, and that's probably it. I want to just point three things that it is not, so that we're clear of what uh, we're talking about. Firstly, it's not becoming a butterfly or some new creation after you die. That is what um, Buddhists and others might fantasize about, but it is completely untrue. The height of God's creation was us. Human beings, it doesn't get any better, but it doesn't get any worse. And we have been told by God's Son, who was made a man, not a butterfly, that this is the reality. The other thing is that resurrection is not resuscitation. Jesus brought three people to life during his ministry. One was Jairus' daughter, another was Lazarus, and then there's a young man on a, a, a buyer leaving a, a, a town. What he did with Lazarus and others and Jairus' daughter is he brought them back to life again. They had died, yes. And they then lived a full life. And no doubt were grateful and praised God for it. But at the end of 70 years or less, they died. Resurrection isn't just coming back to life for a few more years. And the other thing is what resurrection is not about, and this is where Christians get completely mistaken, and I'm going to make a very clear point here, it's not about going to heaven when you die. Yes, that is true if you die before Jesus comes, but that is not the goal nor the end point of Christian existence. That is not why Jesus came to earth. He did not come to planet earth to tell us when your body will go into the ground and then you'll go up and, and sing in the clouds strumming a harp. That is not what resurrection is about. What is it about? The Bible word is anastasis. And we have Anastasia at the back of the church because that's a common name throughout the um, uh, uh, Russian-speaking world and, and around. And it simply means resurrection, anastasis. Stasis means steady state, i.e. death. Ana or a in the Greek word means it's the opposite. It's the opposite of death. It is resurrection, coming back again. It is a permanent reversal of death, but in a brand new human body. It is a bodily act that will occur here on planet Earth when Jesus comes. And that is the dimension we must make sure we understand. Uh, Professor Nor uh, 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 Tom Wright uh, uh, whose, whose brother actually taught me when I was uh, doing theology at, at uh, Spurgeon's, um, said this, that the Greeks fully understood that what was meant 
was, uh, by Anastasis, it was a new life after a period of having been dead. Now, pagans deny it, but Christians have always claimed it has happened to Jesus and would happen to them. There are two dimensions of resurrection. There are what we have seen in the video about Jesus coming to life, but do not detach that from your body, my body, and those who believe in Jesus. Why is it important? Well, Paul highlights to us uh, later on in the Bible that if there is no resurrection, then everything we do is a complete mistake. It's useless. Church services, everything is waste of time because we're false witnesses. Jesus predicted he would rise. If he didn't, then it's a lie. And he then points out, if Christ isn't raised, the faith and all the things you're doing are futile because you still are unforgiven. You're still in your sins. And those who died as Christians, well, there's no future. They're lost too. And we've got no hope. But of course, he then points out that the essence of being a Christian is the fact that the one who raised Jesus from the dead is also going to raise you and me, if you trust in him, from the dead as well. It's about you and me as much as it is about him. And that's why at the very heart of becoming a Christian and faith is this. You tell people that you believe Jesus is Lord, you know him as your Lord and God, and in your heart you trust on the simple fact that God has raised Jesus from the dead so that you and I can be saved. Now, this is the whole essence of why it's so important. And if this is not true, then it's time we all packed our bags and pulled this building down and all the many other churches in the world. Although I would hint that two billion people throughout this world who claim to be Christian can't uh, altogether be wrong about this. What theologians say about it is quite interesting. And John Stott, whose book, uh, Basic Christianity is the foundation for the Christianity explored, wrote this, that the whole point is that Jesus isn't God because he rose from the dead. No, it's the other way around. Because he's God, well, of course he rose from the, the dead. What would you expect God to do? And he points out that the two bits of his life, the beginning and the end, were both supernatural, miraculous. Well, you would expect that of God. The first bit was around the time of his birth. Can I tell you something that John Stock points out? We do not believe in the virgin birth. Now, I know that's been an object of study in some of, the house, uh, in some of the groups that we have. We don't believe in a virgin birth because there was nothing miraculous about Jesus' birth. He was born naturally. What we do believe in is a virgin conception, a supernatural conception where the Holy Spirit of God came on and placed the seed of God into the womb of a virgin and into the egg of a virgin. And that meant he was fully man, but fully God in every way. And of course, the one who came into the world in that supernatural manner, you would expect to leave it. And when death came, and this is another interesting feature that uh, uh, we, we sometimes miss in the reading of the Gospels, we say Jesus died on the cross. That is true, partly. On the cross, when he had completed the atonement for sin, paying for our sins, he said, it's finished, I've done it, I've achieved it. Then he said, 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with that, he left his body and went to be in heaven. He did not die of his wounds. It was impossible God could die of human wounds. He left the body. And at that moment, the heart gave up. He had what we would call a heart attack. And uh, therefore, he left in a miraculous way. We need to understand that, having achieved it. Because God is who he is, well beyond our understanding. Now, even Jews and others accept this. This is the words not of a Christian, but of someone who is a Jew. And he points out, if you look at Christianity, the two basic facts are quite obvious. The death of Jesus and his resurrection. And he says resurrection is by far the more important of these two pillars for the Christian faith. And he is right. But you cannot have one without the other. And uh, it's a very interesting feature. There was a chap called Frank Morrison who was, uh, or he wrote under the name of Frank Morrison, he was, um, uh, um, he, he was an, uh, an English journalist. And about the 1930s, he had grown up as a bit of an atheist, and he decided that he would disprove Christianity. And he knew quite well that the hinge point of Christianity was the resurrection of Jesus. So he set out as a journalist for the next few years in 1930 to disprove the resurrection of Christ. And he arranged with a friend to do this, and off he went to do his studies and research, visit the Holy Land, and then look in all the documents. At the end of it, he put together all the evidence and was uh, absolutely convinced the other way round that what he had discovered is that Christ indeed had risen. And he called the book, Who Moved the Stone? And the first chapter is the book that refused to be written because he had found that the evidence was overwhelming, and those who study it will find so as well. But what are the facts? Well, the Apostles' Creed lays it out quite clearly what we believe, that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, but that he rose again from the dead. They're the simple facts, and they come from the Bible, from, again, from Paul's writings, that make it quite clear Christ died for our sins, he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and he then appeared to many people. And he added a little bit further that that's what happened to Jesus, but there's a personal element in this, as I described at the beginning. Because Christ rose from the dead, as it says here, has indeed been raised from the dead, describes him as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What is the first fruits? When a farmer sowed a field and the wheat grew up, the first fruit was the first stalk to bear new seed in it. They had a full, full head of seed. What the Jews used to do was to pick that and bring it to the temple and lay it in the temple and thank God that that was the first because there'd be millions more stalks like it. The whole harvest was going to follow. And that is the picture that we have got that Jesus rose from the dead so that we might rise from the dead. It was quite clear. And he goes on to point when this will happen. It says that those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead, those who are in the graves, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, which is the sound that comes when the dead will be raised, when Jesus will return, and as our little uh, 
uh, a bit on the wall here says, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And these are the facts. And so that is the Bible's uh, um, description of what resurrection is about and when, when it comes. Now, for instance, we have here a baptistry. Why do we baptize people? How do we baptize people? We don't just throw water around their head and call them names. We actually insist that we fill that up and we take people in and we put them under water and we drown them. Wait, we put them under water and we pretend we kill them, we drown them, and then we pick them. And of course, we're only joking about the drowning bit. But what we're doing is that we're symbolizing going into the grave and rising up again. We kill death. They've died to their old life. They've risen to a new life. That is all about the grave, the resurrection. Because what we're doing in water, God will do with their living bodies. And yours and mine. Because that is what our faith is about. Because we're picturing exactly what happened to Jesus. Now let's go through the, 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 uh, the story so I can pick a, a few of the characteristics out so that we understand where we are. At least I'd understand where I am if I could find where I am. Oh, there we are. Empty tomb. Yes. The uh, black text here is the before. So the before they had been to see the cross, and before the, uh, the, the Easter Sunday resurrection, this is how they felt. So Mary, as we discovered, saw where the tomb was. They went to the tomb, and their real problem was, what about the big stone? Very large, it says. How are we going to get rid of that? Now, some people say, well, the girls went to the wrong tomb. Well, it was quite clear that it was daylight by this time and that they had followed Joseph when he buried Jesus in the tomb. So there was very little doubt that they'd got the wrong tomb. They knew where they were. And to prove things more, when they entered the tomb, well, the first shock, there was no body. But the second shock, there was this young man. Now, Matthew calls it an angel. And he was sitting on the right side. And he says, look, don't be alarmed. Well, of course, they were scared. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so it's quite clear that the empty tomb itself gives overwhelming evidence of the fact that Jesus had risen again. Now, there's a couple of features about this. The girls had to fight their way through a big stone. Who rolled that stone away? Well, the Bible says the angel did it. But the point about the stone which Matthew picks up is that there are a few details that Mark didn't feel needed to be mentioned. He's quite right. But they're still important. What had happened that when they had buried Jesus, that the religious leaders remembered some of those verses that we saw right at the start of the video. Jesus predicted he would rise again on the third day. And they thought about that, and they went to Pontius Pilate and said, look, um, this guy said he might just cause a bit of a storm and rise again. And, and it could be somebody might want to, the disciples might steal the body, and, and we'll be stuck. So the Romans put a Roman guard on the tomb. The Romans then put a Roman seal on the tomb. Firstly, the seal had the full authority of the Roman Empire. If anyone touched or tampered with that seal, it was instant death. Secondly, the Roman guard were trained soldiers, and it wouldn't have been one. There would have been several shifts, as you do, and the soldiers would know what I'm talking about here, that would take over from that guard and ensure they were alert, 
up to speed and knew what they were doing. There was no chance. And if anyone did happen to fall asleep for that soldier, it was a chop. Never mind a regimental disgrace, but he would eventually be, be killed. There was no way anyone would get near that tomb. And yet we discover the door is wide open because the angel of the Lord came down and the guards were shocked and ran away. And that left the women to get in and find out who it was. The second feature that they discovered is the grave clothes. Now, we discover that Joseph and Nicodemus wrapped the dead body of Jesus in grave clothes. What they did is strips of linen, and they wrapped them around the body and intertwined it with up to 34 kilograms of spices and herbs and myrrh. And they wrapped the entire body in that, except the head. The head had a separate cloth wrapped around it. So you effectively had an Egyptian mummy, mummy that was being carried and placed in the tomb. And indeed, Mary and uh, Salome, when they were coming back in the Easter morning, were planning to add further spices to that. What did they find? Well, it uh, was a bit peculiar because they saw the strips of linen lying there and the cloth, and it says the cloth in John's Gospel, was lying in its place, separate from the lips. So you had the cloth at where the head was, and then you had a, a cocoon of strips of linen around the rest of it, bound together with the spices. How did that happen? A theory went round, which the religious leaders spun, that the disciples had stolen the body. Some chance. They were scared uh, completely uh, that they didn't want to go near the place. In fact, even when they were told Jesus arose, they were reluctant to go and check. But the key thing is, if someone had stolen the body, what would you do? Do you think you would take your time to unwrap it, carefully put it back, and then do the same with the head? No, you, you'd grab the thing and run in case the Romans came back. So there was no, no, uh, no issue of that. The second thing you need to note is that if you look at the way the body was lying and the way these clothes were lying, like a kind of cocoon as to where it had been, a bit like a butterfly, you would think something left that and went straight through the clothes and came up again. And that would make you think. When you look at the appearances of Jesus, I'll be coming back to that last point, that Jesus then demonstrated convincingly who he was. He ate with them. You find that he had risen, but his body was slightly different from the original. He could go through walls. He could go from here to there, just like that. The body had properties beyond that, but was still recognizably him uh, in many ways. But Jesus warned them, you're all going to fall away. And then he reminded the disciples to go up to Galilee. And there he met with them. And we can read about that in both Matthew and in John's account. And of course, that personal note to Peter we heard of. But then he appeared to hundreds of people at one time. Many different appearances, which proved beyond doubt that he had indeed risen. And then it says he appeared to James, his brother, then to the apostles, and then to Paul. Well, Paul, at that time, was on the road to Damascus, and we're talking about five, six, maybe ten years later. 
and Jesus appeared personally to him and showed his, uh, who he was. And the uh, appearances are the most striking evidence of what uh, his resurrection and the, the new body that he was in that we need to be uh, aware of that we shall one day inherit. It then had an impact on the church. Peter, who, as we know, stayed well clear and didn't believe at first when he saw the empty tomb, a few, uh, 50 days later, was preaching in Jerusalem, and the evidence he raised to the crowd was that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he was preaching to the people who had condemned him to death. In fact, he got dragged in front of the chief priest, the high priest, and all of those who had condemned Jesus to death, and he said, I've seen him, he's alive, and we are witnesses. And he, in his letter, reminds people that Christ was put to death and made alive. So the changed lives of the church. And the church's existence itself is further evidence that Christ has risen. He is not here. And that's what the woman discovered when they went to see. What happened to Mary after Mary Magdalene, after she saw, saw the empty tomb? She ran back. It says in John, she came back to tell the apostles. Simon and John himself ran to have a look at the tomb. John got in, and when he looked in, he went inside and then says he saw and believed. What did he see? Those grave clothes. Something had happened that had caused, they're still there, but Jesus isn't. And then it twigged. Of course, he said he would rise. And his body went straight through the clothes. And Mary then met Jesus at the tomb and said, I have seen the Lord. Guess what? She went back and told the apostles. And guess what? Mrs. Dear, you're talking loads of nonsense. Don't be stupid. The dead don't rise. That was what the apostles said. They did not believe the woman. So you see, at the Easter story that impacts us, we have two choices. John did not see the living Jesus. He saw the evidence, the empty tomb. He saw and believed. The others heard the story live from someone who had actually met Jesus. They didn't believe. There are two outcomes to the resurrection. But let me tell you this. There's one outcome to resurrection that Daniel, in the prophecy he makes, refers to. It describes in Daniel 12, verse 2, that some will rise to eternal life and some to judgment, that all humankind will be resurrected, but will be called forward for judgment. Believers will have a brand new, eternal, immortal body. The unbelievers will stand in judgment before the throne of Christ. This is a very serious issue for all of humankind. And whether you believe it or not makes no difference. The Bible makes it clear you and I will all be there. But which side will you be on? And the Gospel of Mark is a very uh, interesting 
account of the Easter story. If you read the other Gospels, a lot of them go into quite a considerable amount of detail. Mark has just eight verses. Now, if you read your English Bible, you will see there are several more verses after that. And the several more verses were added later because they felt that people ought to hear the fuller story. And, and you know, they come from John's Gospel, they come from Matthew's Gospel, they come, you know, they're all right. But Mark's Gospel stops at these simple words that the women were trembling, bewildered, they fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Guess what Mark is doing? This was the first gospel to be written. He wrote it in Rome when Peter was there. And he was quite deliberate. He was saying, I've told you the story of the gospel. I've told you what Jesus did, what he did what this. I've told you he's risen from the dead. I'm not going to show you him. And uh, the question could be asked, well, why hasn't Jesus come back? Uh, uh, why, why didn't he stay on earth and you know, keep going around? Why didn't he go up to Pontius Pilate and say, come on, Pontius, look at that. Hey, hey what about that? Because he's not interested in that approach. He wants you to believe, to trust him. Thomas, he appeared to, but the first week after the resurrection, Thomas had said, unless I see the hands, the nail prints, and the, 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 the hole in the side and so on, I won't believe. Jesus appeared to Thomas, and he showed him his hands, he showed him his side, and then he looked at him, he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Guess whose job it is to pass this message on and present it to the world. It's not angels. Somebody once said that if angels could persuade people into the kingdom of heaven, there'd be one swinging from every lamppost in the country. No, it's us. You've got to come by faith. Look at the evidence yourself. Take the approach Frank Morrison did. Examine it for yourself. And look at the changed lives that it brings to people. Look at what God can do in your life. Look what he can do in your body and give you a resurrection body that lives with him forever. Why do I believe Jesus has risen from the dead? Dead easy. Sure, I was talking to him this morning. In fact, we've all been talking to him in this service. He's alive. I'm not following a dead figment or ghost. I'm following the Lord Jesus who is alive and who's changed my heart and life. Boy, I need that. But don't you? Don't we all? We need to be in communion, in faith with him. And that is the step only you can take. And I commend it to you. And we all do.